Lesson number 147, Surah Al-Isra, ayah number 78 to 93. Aqim as-salata, establish the prayer. لدلوك الشمس at the decline of the sun until when إلى غسق الليل until the darkness of the night وقرآن الفجر and also the recitation at the time of fajr إن قرآن الفجر كان مشهودا indeed the recitation of dawn is ever witnessed what is this ayah talking about? salah the Prophet ﷺ is being told to perform the salah Remember the surah, Surah Al-Isra, at the beginning we learned that Subhanallah asra bi'abdihi layla min al-masjid al-haram ila al-masjid al-aqsa. The Prophet ﷺ was gifted with the night journey in which he was taken from Makkah to Jerusalem and then from Jerusalem up to the heavens. And when he was taken up to the heavens, he was given a gift. And what was that gift? Salah. So when the Prophet ﷺ returned, he was commanded to pray, he had to perform the salah. When to perform the salah? At what times? This ayah is telling us about the timings of prayer. Aqim salata perform the prayer. لدلوك shams At the decline of the sun. Li, at, li gives the meaning of at the time when. And duluk, duluk dal lam kaf. Duluk is basically to become loose. When something becomes loose, what happens? It begins to fall. Alright? So, duluk shams is the setting of the sun. Not setting, but basically when the sun reaches the meridian, its highest point in the horizon after sunrise, then what happens? It begins to decline. When the sun rises, you see it going up, up, up in the horizon. And then it reaches the highest point after which it begins to decline. So, duluk refers to the meridian, the highest point from where the sun begins to decline. So what does it mean by this? Start praying once the sun crosses the meridian. In other words, begin your salah from that point onwards. Which salah do we perform at that time? After the sun crosses the meridian? Zuhr. Soon after that, we perform Asr. Once the time of Zuhr ends, the time of Asr begins. Once the time of Asr ends, the time of Maghrib begins. And once the time of Maghrib ends, the time of Isha begins. And because all of these salawat, they are connected, meaning one after the other, one ends, the other begins, and then the other begins. So this is the reason why it has been said, لِدُلُوكِ الشَّمْسِ إِلَى غَسَقِ اللَّيْلِ Until the darkness of the night. غَسَق is basically the darkest part of the night. When the light is gone and it's only darkness. With salah do you perform? When darkness settles in. Salatul Isha. So Zuhr to Isha, all the prayers are connected one after the other. Four salawat. But then there's a gap. After Isha, there's no obligatory prayer. Correct? And then, before the sun rises, and what is that time? Fajr. This is why it is mentioned وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ And the recitation at the time of Fajr. Salah has not been mentioned. What has been mentioned? Qur'an. Why? Because Salat al-Fajr, its unique feature, its most obvious feature should be what? The recitation. And this is the reason why the Prophet ﷺ would recite more Qur'an in Salat al-Fajr than he did in other prayers. In other prayers, his recitation was much shorter. So for example, for Isha, average surah was like, you know, for instance, Surah Al-Layl. 
or Surah Al-Shams. Alright? But when it comes to Fajr, that the Prophet ﷺ recited somewhere between 60 to 100 verses in Fajr. The Sahaba said that we began Fajr Salah when it would be dark. And by the time we would finish, then we could see each other. We could see each other. It wasn't five minutes Salah. It was long. You could say about 20 to 30 minutes. If you think about it, the Prophet ﷺ, he would recite on Friday two surahs in Fajr. And what were they? Surah Al-Sajdah and Surah Al-Insan. And Surah Al-Sajdah also has a sajda in it. This is the reason why it's called a sajda. And the scholars say that the reason why the Prophet ﷺ recited Surah Al-Sajdah, one, because Surah Al-Sajdah speaks about the creation of man as well as the Day of Judgment. And we know that both of these events happened and will happen when? On a Friday. Adam ﷺ was created on Friday. And the Day of Judgment will also occur when? On Friday. So in order to remind us of these important matters, the Prophet ﷺ recited the surah in Fajr. All right? And the Prophet ﷺ also recited Surah Al-Sajdah every night. Every night. Now, apparently it seems Surah Al-Sajdah very long, but once you look at it, it's not that long. And if you develop the habit of reciting the surah every night, believe me, in a few months, you will have memorized it. And once you will have memorized it, then inshallah you can recite it in your salah. And once you recite Qur'an in your salah, really you enjoy recitation and you enjoy salah. Both of them become so much more meaningful. You enjoy them. Otherwise salah is heavy. You just want to finish your salah, complete it, you know, read any surah, Qul Surah Al-Qari, whatever surah you can think of, and just recite it, get over with salah. But when you give importance to salah, how? By reciting Qur'an in it, then you will find that prayer enjoyable also. And for that, you have to memorize the Qur'an. How do you memorize? By reciting it frequently. The more you recite it, the more you will memorize it. And the memorization of the Qur'an is truly an honor. And in fact, it is something that we should be envy of. Meaning if someone has received this great gift, that they have managed to memorize the Qur'an, this is something worth envy. When is it that we feel jealousy of people? Hmm? When we see them wearing a brand new bracelet or something. Hmm? Or when we find out that they're getting engaged, or they're getting married, or that they're buying a house, or that they're getting a new car. These are things that make us feel bad and left out. But you know what is truly something that we should feel bad about if we don't have it? The Qur'an. Because if someone gets the Qur'an in their heart, they have memorized it, then this is a source of honor for them in this dunya and the akhirah. Just last night, I attended someone's takmil, this one child, he completed the memorization of the Qur'an. And as I was watching that child and his parents, I was like, you know, they're really getting ahead of us. I mean, seriously, this is something worth envy. This child has memorized the entire Qur'an, Surah Al-Fatiha to Surah Al-Nas. Look at his age. And then his parents, I mean, on the Day of Judgment, imagine the honor that will be given to the parents of the child who has memorized the Qur'an. So the memorization of the Qur'an is a joy, it's an honor. Why is it a joy? How is it a joy? Because it makes your salah more you know, sweet. It brings more flavor to your prayer. So wa Qur'an al-Fajr, Fajr, you cannot enjoy unless and until you recite the Qur'an in it. And 
the recitation at the time of Fajr. In the Quran al-Fajri kana mashhuda. Indeed, the recitation at the time of Fajr is ever witnessed. Witnessed by who? By the angels. Which means that this time is a special time. It's really important. The angels are attentive here, waiting to see what you're going to do, what you're going to pray, what you're going to recite. In the Quran al-Fajri kana mashhuda. What does it show? Salah has to be performed at these times. But Fajr has been explained even more. It is narrated in Bukhari, the Prophet ﷺ said, that the angels of the night and the angels of the day, because we know that through the night and through the day, we have angels watching us. And what do those angels do? Record our deeds. And at the end of their shift, they go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and report to Him what we've been doing. Even though Allah already knows. He knew even before the angels wrote anything. So the angels of the night and the angels of the day come amongst you in successive groups, meaning they come in shifts. And they meet at the time of Fajr and at the time of Asr, because that's when the shift is changing. Those who stayed among you, meaning for that shift, they ascend and their Lord asks them, although He knows best about you, how did you leave my servants? And the angels say, we came to them when they were praying and we left them when they were praying. But that's only possible when we were actually praying. So, إِنَّ قُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ كَانَ مَشْهُودًا If you think about it, why is this ayah mentioned over here? Right after the ayat about the mushrikeen trying to tempt the Prophet ﷺ, weaken him and expel him from Makkah. Why is this ayah mentioned over here? What does salah do? It strengthens your faith. Makes your heart firm. Salah is basically a way of seeking help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're talking to Allah. Allah is answering you. Communication with your Lord. So at times of difficulty, at times of stress, isn't that what we need? Seeking help from Allah. Because remember we learned that if Allah had not thabbatnaka, if we had not strengthened you, where do you get that strength from? Allah gives you that strength at times of difficulty. But how will you become deserving of that? When you seek Him, when you seek that help. When you establish a connection, a communication with Him. So this is the reason why salah is mentioned. The Prophet ﷺ was given with the gift of performing five daily prayers in order to strengthen his heart even more. Because life is not easy. It's difficult, especially when you want to take your religion seriously. There's challenges from within and there's challenges from outside also. So perform the salah. Recite Qur'an at Fajr. Gain strength of heart in order to survive. In order to face the trials of this world. And also remember that as human beings we're not perfect. Are we prone to making mistakes? Of course. In a hadith in Bukhari we learn, Ibn Mas'ud anhu said that a man... He basically fondled with a woman, a non-mahram woman. Okay? And he came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said that this happened. I mean, no zina, but there was kissing and so on and so forth. So this ayah was revealed, which is very similar. أَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ طَرَفَيِ النَّهَارِ وَالزُّلُفَ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ إِنَّ الْحَسَنَاتِ يُذْهِبْنَ السَّيِّئَاتِ Salah, what does it do? It erases your mistakes. It washes you, it purifies you, it cleans you. And we need that. It strengthens you and it also cleans you. It's your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why the Prophet ﷺ said that 
What do you think? If one of you had a river by the door of your house and he bathed in it five times a day, would there any dirt be left on his body? What did the Sahaba say? No, nothing. He would be perfectly clean. And the Prophet ﷺ said that this is how the five prayers are. Allah erases the sins of His servants through the prayers. And then after Fajr is also a gap between Fajr and Dhuhr. Right? And that gap, there is no obligatory prayer. Right? Now if you think about it, in the 24 hours, there are two main gaps in which there is no obligatory prayer. Which two gaps are they? Before Fajr and after Fajr. With respect to the time before Fajr, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَتَهَجَّدْ بِهِ نَافِلَةً لَكَ And in part of the night, perform the night prayer. Not all night, but part of the night. Because remember that after Isha, there is a gap until Fajr. So in that gap, what do you do? To sleep all night. Watch a movie. Have a movie marathon, especially since the nights are so long. Huh? What does Allah say? وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَتَهَجَّدْ بِهِ نَافِلَةً لَكَ تَهَجَّدْ This is from تَهَجُّدْ What is تَهَجُّدْ? Night prayer. Hujud is to sleep. Hajid is a person who is sleeping. تَهَجُّدْ is to fight your sleep, to break your sleep, to cut it off, and to wake up after sleeping. So for example, after Isha, a person goes to sleep. And then he gets up, he fights his sleep, he breaks his sleep, and he gets up. And then he performs the salah. This is what tahajjud is. وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَتَهَجَّدْ بِهِ Fill that gap with what? Part of it with the night prayer. فَتَهَجَّدْ بِهِ Perform tahajjud. And in tahajjud also, what should be done? What's the highlight of tahajjud? The recitation of the Qur'an. Right? That is for the purpose of reviewing the Qur'an in fact. Because a person cannot retain the Qur'an. Memorization is relatively easy. You know when the real job begins, the real task? Retaining the Qur'an. Ask the mothers whose children have memorized the Qur'an. That their real job begins when the son or when the daughter reaches Surah An-Nas. Because now is a more difficult task. Reviewing the Qur'an, retaining it, keeping it. Because if a person does not strive to keep the Qur'an, the Qur'an will leave him. It will leave him. So how do you retain the Qur'an? By performing tahajjud and reciting the Qur'an in the night prayer. And if a person is not able to do that, then at least he should make a point of reciting the Qur'an when? Between Fajr and Dhuhr. The gap in which there is no obligatory prayer, that is also a time when we perform voluntary prayer. If it's early on, right after sunrise, soon after that, it's called Ishraq. Right? And if it's later than that, Duha. So performing nafl prayer that time also. And nafl prayer, what's the benefit of this? It's a charity for your entire body. Right? Because every morning that you wake up and your body is, alhamdulillah, in good shape, in good state, in good health, then sadaqah is due. You better give charity and gratitude to show that, Ya Allah, I'm thankful for this blessing of health, that my body is still together. I'm still alive. And how do you do that? By performing nafl prayer, voluntary prayer. And in that voluntary prayer also, what can you do? Recite the Qur'an. Nafilatan lak. It is additional for you. Nafila noon falam. Nafil. What does nafil mean? Nafil prayer. What is nafil prayer? Extra prayer. Meaning that is not obligatory but additional. 
Now what is additional can be understood in two ways. One is that it's an additional obligation on you. Meaning on the Prophet ﷺ. And this is the reason why the Prophet ﷺ, he performed the Hajj prayers consistently. Because it was an additional obligation on him and not on the Ummah. And secondly, it can be understood as this is extra, voluntary. And the more you do it, the more benefits you will reap. What's the benefit? Asa, perhaps, أَن يَبْعَثَكَ Rabbuk That your Lord will elevate you to a maqaman, to a place, a position that is mahmuda, that is praiseworthy. He will raise you to such a position where you will be praised. And is that so? Did the Prophet ﷺ reach such a level, such a position, that people praise him? Those who believe in him and also those who don't believe in him? He is praised. And Maqam al-Mahmuda especially refers to that position in the Akhirah, that only the Prophet ﷺ shall be granted. When? When people will be in the Hashr, in the gathering, and the Hisab will not begin. So people will go to Adam ﷺ, can you please ask Allah to begin the Hisab? He will say, no, I'm scared. Go to Ibrahim. They will go to Ibrahim ﷺ. He will say, no, I'm scared. They will go to Musa ﷺ. He will say, no, I'm scared. They will go to Isa ﷺ. No, I'm afraid. Then they will go to Muhammad ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ will fall prostrate. He will go into sajda. And in hadith we learn that the Prophet ﷺ said that I will stand up and come before the throne and will fall prostrating to my Lord. And then Allah will inspire me to speak and I will speak beautiful words of praise such that no one has ever been inspired with before. He will praise Allah in a way that no creature has ever praised Allah before. And what will happen then? It will be said, O Muhammad, raise your head and ask. It will be granted to you. Intercede and your intercession will be heard. And then the Prophet ﷺ will intercede and then basically the hisab will begin. This is Maqam al-Mahmud. The Prophet ﷺ will praise Allah. And in praising Allah, who will be praised? The Prophet ﷺ. Because remember that when a servant shows servitude to the master, in showing that servitude is that servant's honor. In that is his honor. In that he becomes praiseworthy. عَسَىٰ أَن يَبْعَثَكَ رَبُّكَ مَقَامًا مَحْمُودًا وَقُلْ أَنْ سَيْ رَبِّ أَدْخِلْنِي O my Lord, admit me. Cause me to enter. مُدْخَلَ الصِّدِقِنْ A sound entrance. Because... The Prophet ﷺ knew at this point in Mecca that very soon he was going to leave. There was no way he could stay in Mecca for a long period of time now. So he was told, make dua, that, oh my Lord, admit me, meaning into my new destination, whatever that is, because he did not know he was going to Medina. He was not commanded that yet. So admit me, make me enter, mudkhala sidqin, mudkhal entrance, sidqin in truth, meaning wherever you take me, wherever you cause me to enter, cause me to enter in a good condition, وَأَخْرِجْنِي and make me go out, cause me to exit, from where? From Makkah, from the place that I am in, how? مُخْرَجَ sidqin and exit that is good. Notice, exit is not mentioned first, where is that comes first? What is mentioned first? Entry. Because think positively. Don't think about, oh, I have to leave. No, think about where you have to go. And as you're reaching your new destination, you don't even know what that is. You know there's a huge change coming. Start praying from now. That, oh Allah, when you bring this huge change in my life, make it good. Make me 
enter that in good and make me leave my present condition in a good state. وَجْعَلِّي مِنْ لَدُنْكَ سُلْطَانَ النَّصِيرَ And give me from yourself a sultan, a support, an authority that is nasir, that is supporting, that will help me. Because we all need Allah's help. And especially when you are moving from one place, going to a new place, you know, facing your future, so many unknowns, so many fears, so many worries, you need help from Allah. So you support me, you help me. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did give him help. He gave him Ansar, best supporters in Medina. He gave him Abu Bakr, best companion on that hijrah journey. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought victory to the Prophet ﷺ by taking him to Medina. Now, this ayah, yes, it's understood in the context of Rasulullah ﷺ, but we can also use this dua. Whenever there's something new that's happening. Going in a new place, leaving your comfort zone, is it difficult? Is it difficult? It's very difficult. You know, when you go to a new class, new professor, new teacher, new people, new faces, how do you feel? How do you feel? A stranger, right? Everyone seems to be staring at you and you feel so awkward just being there. So make dua to Allah. Rabbi adkhilni mudkhala sidqin. That as I've come here, make me enter in a good way, for a good cause, for a noble cause. Make me benefit from this. You enter a new road as you're driving or you go into a new country, you enroll in a new course. You have your fears, you have your apprehensions. Make dua, O oh Allah, Rabbi adkhilni mudkhala sidqin wa akhrijni mukhraja sidqin wa ja'alni min ladunka sultan al-nasira. And the Prophet ﷺ was told to make this dua even before the command for hijrah came. The command for hijrah came later. There were still a few years. But you see how dua was being made from before. So sometimes, it's not necessary that you see exactly what's going to happen. You know something is going to happen. There is going to be some change in the future. You don't know what exactly. But start making dua already. Don't delay. Huh? Exactly. This dua is also on the main door of Al-Huda. Right? Rabbi adkhilni mudkhala sadiqin. That wherever I enter, I enter in a good condition, with goodness. May this be beneficial. May this be good for me. Because it's possible that you go somewhere and you get sick, you catch a cold, or you went there to get something, but you go there and you lose what you have. وَأَخْرِجْنِي مُخْرَجَ صِدِقٍ وَجَعَلْنِي مِنْ لَدُنْكَ سُلْطَانَ النَّصِيرًا And grant me a supporting authority from yourself. وَقُلْ جَاءَ الْحَقُّ And say, the truth has come. وَزَهَقَ الْبَاطِلِ And falsehood has departed. جَاءَ الْحَقُّ The truth has come. وَزَهَقَ الْبَاطِلِ And batil, falsehood, has zahaqa, departed. It has left. Zahaqa from zuhuq or zahaq. And what does it mean? To pass away. When something leaves, when something goes away, how? In a pitiful state. Defeated, you know, while it's sad, while it's sorrowful. Remember in the Qur'an we have learned what تَزْهَقَ أَنفُسُهُمْ And their souls depart, meaning they die, in a pitiful state. So, وَقُلْ جَاءَ الْحَقُّ وَزَهَقَ الْبَاطِلِ Meaning falsehood has been defeated, humiliated, and it has left. Why? Because إِنَّ الْبَاطِلَ كَانَ زَهُوقَ Indeed, falsehood by nature is ever bound to depart. It cannot stay, it cannot survive. Why? 
Because who can survive? Who survives? Survival of the fittest. And batil, falsehood by nature is not fit. It's faulty. Alright? It's not right. It's false. And when something is false, it cannot stay forever. It's bound to leave. So, وَزَهَقُ الْبَاطِلِ إِنَّ الْبَاطِلَ كَانَ زَهُوقًا I want you to notice the, both of these statements that the Prophet ﷺ is being told to say. He was ordered to say these statements when he was still in Mecca. What happened? Soon after, the command to Hijrah came. The Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina. رَبِّ أَدْخِلْنِي مُدْخَلَ صِدِقٍ What happened after that? Many years later, the Prophet ﷺ came to Mecca and conquered Mecca. And as he conquered Mecca, he went to the Kaaba, had the doors of the Kaaba opened, and the idols that were in the Kaaba, they were brought out, they were broken, they were destroyed, and the Prophet ﷺ recited this ayah. جَاءَ الْحَقُّ وَزَهَقَ الْبَاطِلِ In Bukhari, it is reported that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said that the Prophet ﷺ entered Mecca, and around the Kaaba, around the Kaaba were 360 idols. Just imagine 360 idols. I wonder where people would stand if that entire area was filled with idols. And the Prophet ﷺ began to strike them with a stick in his hand saying, جَاءَ الْحَقُّ وَزَهَقَ الْبَاطِلِ إِنَّ الْبَاطِلَ كَانَ زَهُقًا Batil cannot stay. It will leave. But isn't it amazing? He was told to recite this, to say this in Mecca. When did this actually come about? Many years later. Many years later. But remember that a promise that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made, it will come true. It will be fulfilled. When? Allah knows best. But certainly it will come true. And in this ayah is a lesson. That falsehood and that which is upon falsehood, it cannot remain. It will finish. It will depart. And what will take its place? What will take its place? Truth. Reality. This happens in our lives also. That sometimes we hold on to things which are not true, which are baseless. Or we live in a fantasy world. But what happens? Can we remain like that forever? No. Falsehood will be exposed and it will be removed. It will be expelled. No matter how firm people are upon batil. You know, just recently in the news, I read that how in India there was this guru And he basically had thousands and thousands of followers. Okay, And he was basically involved in a murder case. And he was called in court several times, but he refused to show up. And then the court basically ordered that the police basically bring him. And when they went to get him, his followers, over 20,000 of them, you know, they basically guarded his place and they were like human shields. They wouldn't let the police go through. So for a week, the police fought with the followers of that man. But eventually what happened? They caught him. And they had a picture of him standing behind bars. And I was thinking really, if this guy is supposed to heal you, and if this guy is supposed to provide you, how can he be standing behind bars? How? How is it possible? Falsehood is exposed. People are impressed with lies, with fake stories. All right? But what happens? Will it remain like that forever? It will be exposed. In history, what do we see? All of these conspiracies and false you know, ideologies, what happened? They were in effect for hundreds of years maybe. But then eventually, 
exposed. So, جَاءَ الْحَقُّ وَزَهَقَ الْبَاطِلِ إِنَّ الْبَاطِلَ كَانَ زَهُقَ What lesson do we learn from this? That no matter how prominent falsehood is, and no matter how deeply rooted it is, and no matter how firmly people cling to it, we don't hold on to batil. Why? Because when batil will go, its people will also go. And we don't want to be one of them. إِنَّ الْبَاطِلَ كَانَ زَهُقَ وَنُنَزِّلُ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ What is it that we should hold on to? The Qur'an, because that is haqq. وَنُنَزِّلُ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ And we send down of the Qur'an, مَا هُوَ الشِّفَاءٌ That which is a shifa, which is a healing. The Qur'an is a healing. What is healing? What is cure? What is a cure? Think about it. Logically, what is cure? When do you need it? When you're suffering. When there's a problem. Now as human beings, we suffer at two levels. One is spiritually. And secondly, physically. Right? So we have spiritual ailments, and we also have physical ailments. Sometimes we feel pain in our heart, whether it's in the form of depression or sadness, or it's in the form of you know, feelings being hurt, or whatever it may be. And sometimes we feel pain in our body. And the Qur'an, Allah calls it shifa. It's a cure. Cure for what? The soul and the body. It's a cure for the diseases of the heart as well as the diseases of the body. You know the Qur'an has rights. Isn't it? And when people don't fulfill those rights, what are they doing? They're basically abandoning the Qur'an. And Ibn Qayyim, he writes about the different ways in which the Qur'an is abandoned. One way is that you know, a person abandons the Qur'an that he doesn't believe in it, he doesn't recite it, he doesn't reflect on it, he doesn't apply it. And another way of abandoning the Qur'an is by not using it for shifa. This is also abandoning the Qur'an. That when we are in pain, we take a Tylenol, but we don't recite Qur'an for healing. When we are sick, we go from a doctor to doctor, one treatment after another, but we don't recite Qur'an for healing. This is also abandoning the Qur'an. This is also neglecting the book of Allah. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this book as what? For many reasons, with many benefits. And one of them is shifa. So this Qur'an is a healing. The Prophet ﷺ said, seek treatment, seek shifa. For Allah has not created any disease, but that He has also created a cure for it. For every disease is a cure. For every single disease is a cure, except for one disease. Death is not disease. It's a condition, an undeniable condition that everybody knows cannot be reversed. One disease that cannot be cured. Hmm? I heard somebody saying something. Of the heart? No. No. Old age. Old age cannot be healed. It cannot be treated. You cannot reverse it. So before you reach that stage, do something. Do something with your life. Do something with your time. Because it's inevitable. It's coming. Sooner or later it's going to come. You know, when you realize, this child, all of a sudden he's so big. Just yesterday I met this girl, whom I first met when she was three or four years old. 
And yesterday I saw her little sister and she was exactly three or four years old. I'm like, she's still the same? Not possible. It's been too many years. I'm like, she's got to be the younger sister. So I'm looking around and I see an older version of that person. So when you realize that three-year-old child is now 12 years old, you wonder there's also been an increase in my age. Right? And then you never know. Next time that you meet that person, you have white hair and they are young and you know in the prime of their life. So old age has no cure. So before you reach old age, do something with your life. Yes, go ahead. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, about the Shifa, I just wanted to share this uh, small incident that happened with me just yesterday. A small child come to me to uh, reading Quran and it's only been one month and I have noticed that some of his words are not, you know, like perfect. Speech is not Some of the letter, yeah. So yesterday I talked to her mom. I said um, his mom that uh, some of her letters are not that as good. I just wanted to make sure that you are aware of the fact so that maybe he could get help from the school. And she told me this amazing thing. She said, he has been behind his age and uh, they have been, uh, you know, treating him and everything. And she said, the amazing thing, I just had a parent-teacher interview yesterday, like just a day before. And they told me that during this month, this child has been coming to me only for one month. They said her teachers are amazed that during this month he learned as much as he learned in an year. The whole year, whatever he learned, he just learned in one month. And that's the month that he started learning Quran, how to read Quran. Subhanallah. And she was so convinced it is the barakah of the Quran that he started to learn. The Quran is a healing. For every kind of suffering, for every kind of pain, whether it's mental, psychological, spiritual, emotional, physical. So, وَنُنَزِّلُ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ مَا هُوَ شِفَاءٌ وَرَحْمَةٌ And it's also a mercy. When is something a source of mercy for you? When it's of benefit to you. Right? So the Qur'an, as it's a healing, as it is a guidance, it is a source of mercy. But for who? Read the ayah. For who? لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ For the believers. Those who believe in the Qur'an. Recite it with conviction. Seek guidance from it. Seek mercy through it. Seek shifa from it. They will benefit from the Qur'an. وَلَا يَزِيدُ الظَّالِمِينَ إِلَّا خَسَارًا But the wrongdoers, those who reject the Qur'an, who don't believe in it, who don't give the haq to the Qur'an, what does the Qur'an increase them? Only khasara. What is khasara? Loss. The more they hear the Qur'an, the more they suffer. The more they listen to the Qur'an, the more they suffer. Imagine. Why? Because each person will take from the Qur'an what he is seeking. If you're seeking goodness, you will find goodness. And if you're looking for problems, then you'll find every ayah problematic. Literally there are people who when the Qur'an is being recited, they will say, turn that off. Be quiet. I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to hear it. Why? It angers them. It bothers them. It irritates them. May Allah protect us. Assalamu alaikum. I myself is a living example of Shifa. Many years back in 2005, I was, I was on medication of anxiety and blood pressure. And when I came here, I was learning Quran word to word by word. Slowly, slowly, my medicines came down. And finally, I left the medicines. Until today, the recitation of the Quran in a loud voice is a medicine for me. Whenever I'm excited or so my blood pressure goes high, I take the Quran, I recite it loudly in the morning, and I'm okay. 
in the evening i'm okay because it has got two effects physically and spiritually of course 100% physically you are breathing you are expanding you are taking your voice out and the oxygen is going uh, inside you are having exercise of muscles and your lungs and spiritually of course the words of allah uh, these are words of spoken by allah by jibril by prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and we are speaking the same words and my anxiety goes until today it is my medicine alhamdulillah 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 The Quran is Shifa. Go ahead. We learned that we're supposed to read it in a nice and a soft voice, but I hear a lot of people over-reading it over, and then it, not that it's bothering people, but you know sometimes like I was reading another hadith where you're not supposed to read it over somebody. Like can you explain about how you're supposed the to recite it? The thing is that it? the recitation of the Quran should be beautiful, okay? Because we should adorn our voices with the Quran. And this is something that the Prophet ﷺ advised us to do. In the Qur'an also we are told, وَرَتِّلِ الْقُرْآنَ تَرْتِيلًا Recite the Qur'an with tartil. And tartil is to recite in a way that you pause at the appropriate places, you raise your voice at an appropriate place, and you lower it at an appropriate place. You smile, you cry, you make dua. You know, it's a living recitation, conscious recitation. This is tartil. So we're supposed to do that. Now unfortunately what happens sometimes is that we're we forget about what we are reciting and the entire focus is on yelling and being extremely loud about it. So instead of the Qur'an having a calming effect, what happens is that people, they get annoyed. Right? They get scared. They get startled. So the method of recitation should also be good. Is that clear? So the Qur'an is shifa. However, there are some people who do not get shifa from the Qur'an. Rather, what do they get from the Qur'an? Only khasara. وَإِذَا أَنْعَمْنَا عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ And when we bestow a favor upon man, أَعْرَضَ He turns away. Allah gives him a gift. And what does that man do? What does that person do? What do people do in general? They take that gift and they just walk away. You know what is i'rad? What is i'rad? aversion, to turn away. So for example, I'm facing you right now. What is a'radah? That if I just turn away. Okay? And also i'radah is used for the aversion of the heart. You know when the heart is not thinking about the benefactor for example, the one who gave the gift. Has it ever happened with you? A child is begging you, begging you, begging you, can I have this, can I have this, can I have this, and you give it to them, just take it away and they go. What do you do? You hold their hand, bring them back and say, what do we say? What's the magic word? Or you know, something like that. We remind them. But people in general, what is their behavior? When they receive blessings from Allah, they turn away from Allah. How? With their hearts, they're not grateful. With their tongues, they're not grateful. In their actions, they don't show any gratitude. And what is worse? وَنَا janibi. And he distances himself. Na'a is from na'yun, noon hamzaya. And na'i is to keep away. Remember, wahum yanhauna anhu wa yanauna anhu. They forbid people from the Prophet ﷺ and yanauna anhu. They keep away from him themselves also. So this is na'i, to keep away. So na'a, he kept away bijanibih with his side. Meaning he kept his side away. When you keep your side away from someone, what does it mean? Don't touch me, don't touch me. Keep away from me. Right? So for example, you're sitting next to someone 
And that person is getting a little too relaxed in their chair, so they're almost leaning onto you. What do you do? You move away, move away. You keep your side away from them. So in doing that, you distance yourself from them. So what does this foolish man do? He takes blessings from Allah, and then he distances himself from Allah. He moves away from Allah. He doesn't remember him, doesn't thank him, doesn't talk about him. وَإِذَا مَسَّهُ الشَّرُّ And when something evil touches him, كَانَ يَأُوسَ He becomes يَأُوس. Who is يَأُوس? Extremely despairing. Yes. And what is that? To give up hope. To despair. Why? That when you see that something is not being done, when something is not being fulfilled, and so much time has passed, then what happens? You're like, forget it. I give up. I don't expect that this will ever happen. This is yes. So man, he becomes yaus when something evil touches him. You see the extreme over here? This is man's weakness. Except for those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saves. That when people are in good times, they forget their Lord. They keep away from Allah. They become distanced. They don't pray, they don't remember, they don't thank. And when they're in difficulty, again, they do not remember Allah at that time. Because if they remembered Allah in difficulty, would they despair? No, they wouldn't. The thing is that if we don't remember Allah in good times, then we cannot remember Him in hard times either. Because what happens is that if a person is not used to making dua, then when he's in difficulty, at that time making dua is also very difficult. A person could be in extreme pain, but he does not know how to call upon his Lord. You know, for example, if a person is not used to reciting the Qur'an, for instance, then what happens? Even if they have two spare hours, they will not think about reciting the Qur'an. Why? Because they're not in the habit. And people even go for hajj, they go for umrah. And they have all the time in the world to just recite the Qur'an, do ibadah, but are they able to? No, they cannot. Why? They don't have the habit. And instead... They will either be on their gadgets or they will be walking around in the marketplaces or they'll be chatting with everybody. Trying out new foods. Finally they find halal restaurants over there. Right? So that's what they're preoccupied with. So this is a reality. That if we don't remember Allah in good times, then we cannot even remember Him in difficult times. And the thing is that when a person remembers Allah in good times, then that brings strength to the heart. So much strength that in difficult times, a person remains hopeful. He can cope with loss, he can cope with pain, he can cope with hardship. Otherwise, due to the lack of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the heart becomes so weak that in difficult times, a person cannot cope with pain, he cannot cope with hardship, he gives up, he despairs. So there are different types of people. Some people remember Allah in good times, and they also remember Him in tough times. Other people, they don't remember Allah in good times, but they do turn back to Him when difficulty strikes. And there are other people who neither remember Allah in good times, nor are they able to remember Allah in hard times. قُلْ say كُلُّنْ all يَعْمَلُ All people, everyone, يَعْمَلُ He is performing amal, He is doing amal, He is working. So each is working. عَلَى شَاكِلَةِ According to his shakila. Each works according to his shakila. What is shakila? Shakil. What is shakil? Appearance, form. Now, 
we have two forms, two appearances. One is physical appearance, what we look like. All right? And the other is the batin, what is hidden of the ruh, of the soul. You know, for example, a person's nature, his habit, his manner. It's not something tangible, it's intangible. And there is resemblance between the two. Because mushakala is resemblance. Okay? There's resemblance, there is some similarity between the physical appearance and the manner, the style of an individual. There is always a correlation. You know, for example, if a creature has something on its body, you know that there's a reason behind that. Or if the body is of a particular way, you know that there is a reason behind that. Right? So, كُلُّ يَعْمَلُ عَلَى شَاكِلَتِهِ Each is working according to his shakila, meaning his manner, his own tariqah, his own way, his own method, his own style. Is that so? Each person works according to his own way. Even if two people are living in the same house, is there any difference in the way they do the same things? Of course there is. Twins, will they work differently? Yes. Sisters who have always shared a room, will they work differently? Of course, they will. Each person is different. Different nature, different outlook, different perspective, different thinking. Each person is different. فَرَبُّكُمْ أَعْلَمُ Your Lord is most knowing. بِمَنْ With those who, هُوَ He is أَهْدَى سَبِيلًا Most guided in way. Allah knows who is most guided. What are we being told over here? Each person behaves differently, reacts differently, thinks differently. In the previous ayah, what do we learn? Some people, in ease, they forget Allah. In hardship, they forget Allah. But there are some other people who behave differently. Each is working according to his manner. And Allah knows who is most rightly guided. Allah knows who is upon the right way. There is variety in the creation. People vary, they differ. Each is unique. However, that doesn't mean that everyone is right and everyone is okay. Allah knows who is most upon the truth. So what Allah tells us, that this is right and this is wrong, that is what we're supposed to take. Let's listen to the recitation of these ayat. أَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِدُلُوكِ الشَّمْسِ إِلَىٰ غَسَقِ اللَّيْلِ وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ إِنَّ قُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ كَانَ مَشْهُودًا وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَتَهَجَّدْ بِهِ نَافِلَةً لَكَ عَسَىٰ أَن يَبْعَثَكَ رَبُّكَ مَقَامًا مَحْمُودًا وَقُلْ رَبِّ أَدْخِلْنِي مُدْخَلَ صِدْقٍ وَأَخْرِجْنِي مُخْرَجَ صِدْقٍ وَاجْعَلْ لِي وَاجْعَلْ لِي مِن لَّدُنكَ سُلْطَانًا نَّصِيرًا وَقُلْ جَاءَ الْحَقُّ وَزَهَقَ الْبَاطِلُ إِنَّ الْبَاطِلَ كَانَ زَهُوقًا وَنُنَزِّلُ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ مَا هُوَ شِفَاءٌ وَرَحْمَةٌ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَلَا يَزِيدُ الظَّالِمِينَ إِلَّا خَسَارًا وَإِذَا أَنْعَمْنَا عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ أَعْرَضَ وَنَأَى بِجَانِبِهِ 
وَإِذَا مَسَّهُ الشَّرُّ كَانَ يَئُوسًا قُلْ كُلٌّ يَعْمَلُ عَلَى شَاكِلَتِهِ فَرَبُّكُمْ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ هُوَ أَهْدَى سَبِيلًا 